Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of uh, Downloading. You haven't listened yet, but you have downloaded. That's a good start. This episode of Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Today we're going to, in three acts, talk about how hope catches us from behind and how we hope in Christ in the midst of all this trouble and pandemic and the threats of disease and so forth in this life. I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, you can reach me at wolfmuller.co slash contact and let me know what you think about this show, other shows, things you'd like to hear talked about. We we always do a Q&A probably once a month, so if you've got theology questions, you can send those in as well. So in the meantime, here's, here's this week's episode of Cross Defense. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. God be praised for that, for the resurrection of Jesus, which changes absolutely everything. That's what we're going to talk about. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and uh, Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Your host of Cross Defense, author of the new book, And Take They Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of Martyrdom, which is, which is a, was a fun thing to put together. I was surprised at how much Luther talked about the martyrs. And I have to just, I don't know if this is a confession, or you guys probably know this already, but I, I mean, Luther is a theological hero of mine. Just the way he, he reads the scriptures, thinks about the scriptures, rejoices in the scriptures, it's just, it's just fantastic. And so to, this book just lets him preach to us about the confidence of living and dying. Um, I, I think that I was thinking about this a little bit because we had Martin Luther's Easter hymn yesterday, uh, which, which has this great line it has a school he says it was a strange and dreadful a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended the victory remained with life the reign of death was ended holy scripture plainly saith that death is swallowed up by death his his sting is lost forever alleluia so this this picture of death and life fighting it out, Jesus lays in the tomb, and, and we just, as far as, you know, if we were to go on Holy Saturday and crack open the tomb of Jesus, you would just see a body laying there, like everybody lays in the tomb, just resting, waiting. But Jesus was fighting against death and overcoming it. Oh, and, and for us, because everything that Jesus does is for us. His death for us, his bleeding for us, his having his beard ripped out for us. His laying in the grave for us, his coming out for us, so that that strife is over. But but we don't yet know it. That, so that's one of the great things about, for, for example, the Easter stories, is that, is that Jesus is raised, and yet we see the people who love Jesus, who followed Jesus, who trusted in Jesus, we see them learning that almost in real time. There's this line. You remember this? As uh, Clopas and someone, another disciple leave Jerusalem and they're going to Emmaus. And as they're on the way to Emmaus, Jesus appears and he walks with them. And he says, why so despondent? <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? Why are you so upset? And they say, are you the only one to... Do you not know what happened in these last few days? Are you the only guy in Jerusalem that doesn't that doesn't know these things? And 
And they say, and Jesus says, what things? And they said, about Jesus. And then they go on to say, this is so great. They said, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was going to be the one. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to rescue us. We had hoped that he was going to be the Messiah. We had hoped that he was the one that we were waiting for. But now that hope is lost. He's in the grave. And Jesus, well, that, that's just amazing. Because, because Jesus is there. He's raised already from the dead. He's, all, he's already overcome sin and death. And yet he's hidden himself from them. And, so, and so, they, so they're in this state of hopelessness. And we're watching. I mean, we're listening as Luke describes the situation. And we're thinking, no, look, he's right there. Your hope is alive. Your hope is well. Your hope is talking with you, walking with you. And Jesus doesn't just show him who he is. He starts to teach him from the scriptures. But there's this way. And in fact, in all of the Easter narratives in the gospels there's this uh there's this sense that that we know that jesus is raised from the dead and yet the people don't and it has to it has to catch up to him it has to catch up to him from behind it has to sneak up on him I mean, like jesus sneaks up on mary in the garden or where but from behind what are you doing here she says, "What? Where? I'm looking. Are you the gardener? I'm looking for the body of Jesus, my friend Jesus, who was just here. His body was just here, and now it's gone, and they've taken. I don't know where they've put him. And Jesus, from behind, Mary, ah, oh, and she turns around and recognizes him. That so that Easter hope is always sneaking up us from behind. Now this is I want to I want to press in on that theme a little bit today in the show, and I and, but I want to do it in the context in which we find ourselves now, which is in the middle of this pandemic of the coronavirus." Lord willing, it looks like the numbers are starting to improve. I mean, I'm no pandemicist, but from my perspective, it looks like there's uh, there's relief on the horizon. God be praised for that. But but in the meantime, I mean, we're all locked down. We're all at home. We're all social distancing. We're all doing our best. And we're all wrestling through this. Now, I've been looking at um, I've been looking at this idea of. Uh, of hope in the midst of pandemic, hope in the midst of crisis, and I found a, I found a couple of interesting things I want to read to you. This is um this is from Real Clear Politics blog. It's a post by Ian Schwartz, but it, especially it's going to be a quote from David Brooks, who was being interviewed. David Brooks is columnist, and he and uh, for the New York Times, I believe, and and he said um. Uh, he's, he's thinking about mental health in the time of crisis, and he writes this. He says, I'm focused on mental health these days. I asked 6,000 of my New York Times readers to write to me about how their mental health is doing, and I was gutted by their responses. People are really hurting. There's three groups in particular. Now, this is interesting, how, how the times of crisis and pandemic, they get us based on our station in life isn't that it, it's so interesting to me that it comes down to this place and station in life i mean this is what gives shape to our love what gives shape i mean so much we just think of ourselves as sort of like independent operators like it's just me and but that but that our station and vocation matters so much for who we are and what's going on with us and uh french or brooks continues sorry david brooks says there are three groups in particular young people just feeling their hopes and dreams are dashed. And there's a sense, listen to this, there's a sense of hopelessness. Not eating, not sleeping, crying on the sofa. Senior citizens are also very badly hit. Widows and widowers, just that sense of crushing isolation. 
I mean, you're by yourself already so much of the time, and now it's you're almost required to be by yourself. The third category says there's those with mental health problems, those who already had mental health problems, who are now seeing relapses. And there's another curve. You know, there's so much talk about flattening the curve. David Brooks talks about this mental health curve. It's interesting. There's another curve, a mental health curve. And yet I think America is still hanging together. Faith in our institutions is pretty good. There's nobody rioting the streets. There's nobody looting. There's nobody saying we've got to do anything but what we've got to do, which is just hunker down. So, so, David, now, so that's David Brooks. Now, I'm, and, that, and that line in there is really something. Young people are feeling their hopes and their dreams dashed. There's a sense of hopelessness, not eating, not sleeping, crying on the sofa. Now, why, I'm interested in why that would be. Perhaps one of the reasons is that, well, one of the reasons is that uh, hope always has to do with the future, right? And if you're a young person, you just, in general, think that you've got more future. <laughs> you know, if you just figure people live to be 80 years old, 70 to 80, that's the length, the, the expected length of life taught to us by Psalm 90. If you get past, if you say, uh, three score and 10 or if they be four score so that's 70 and 80 so that's a life expectancy if you get over 80 by the way you're in the bonus years if you get over 90 you're in the double bonus but we have that life expectancy so you figured you're 20 and you're like well i got 50 more years if you're 65 you're like well i got five and so your hope at least in this life is, is just a little bit less and so forth but but anyway, this is young people have this all, they're the whole, almost, when you're young, your whole life is in front of you. So you're almost, your whole life is invested in, in hope. And so now you, you have this big bubble that's now being shaped. It's interesting. Here's another take on this. This is an article from The Guardian. When I printed it out, it didn't, it didn't say who wrote this. But I, I'm intrigued by, I gotta, I gotta try to figure it out. I'm intrigued by this article. Now, this is a very left-leaning uh the Guardian is a left-leaning thing. And the author is, oh, here it is, Rebecca Solnit, who is also particularly left-leaning, you know, sees the crisis as an opportunity to become, we can all become socialists and, and so forth. That, that's all through the article. But, but especially the introduction of the article is really, really fascinating. It's titled, The Impossible Has Already Happened, What Coronavirus Can Teach Us About Hope. In the midst of fear and isolation, we're learning that profound positive change is possible. Let me just read you a couple of paragraphs. Very interesting. Disasters begin suddenly and never really end. The future will not, in crucial ways, be anything like the past, even the very recent past of a month or two ago. Our economy, our priorities, our perceptions will not be what they were at the outset of this year. The particulars are startling. Companies like GE and Ford retooling to make ventilators, the scramble for protective gear, once bustling city streets becoming quiet and empty, the economy in freefall. Things that were supposed to be unstoppable stopped. And things that were supposed to be impossible, extending workers' rights and benefits, freeing prisoners, moving a few trillion dollars around in the U.S., have already happened. Now, that's... I, I don't know the grammatical term. I think I know. I think it's uh, in Greek. It's a pluperfect. But there's a there, there's got to be some some particular grammatical term uh, here for this sentence. Things that were supposed to be unstoppable, so that so that it's taking you into the past and looking to the future, and then it's a thing, it, it, in other words, to 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 grapple 
with the idea of our hopes and our expectations being changed by crisis, you've got to say things like that. It's really interesting. Now, here's some definitions. Next paragraph. The word crisis means, in medical terms, the crossroad a patient reaches, the point at which she will either take the road to recovery or to death. The word emergency comes from emergence or emerge as if you were just ejected from the familiar and urgently needed to reorient. The word catastrophe comes from a root meaning sudden overturning. Now, how amazing! And one more word is going to come in a, a paragraph later. The word disaster, which means ill-starred or under a bad star, changes the world and our view of it. Our focus shifts. What matters shifts. What weak breaks under the pressure. What is strong holds. What was hidden emerges, and so forth. Change is not po not only possible; we're swept by it. Our, we are we change our priorities change intensified awareness of mortality now oh listen to this intensified awareness of mortality makes us wake up to our own lives and the preciousness of life now i've been trying to understand one of the things i'm i'm sort of working on and this actually comes up in this in this article quite nicely one of the things i've been working on is trying to understand what this what this moment in time means. And I'd love, by the way, to hear your own thoughts on this. The best way to get a hold of me is at the website, wolfmuller.co slash contact, I think. If you, if, if you go to the website, there's a button that lets you send me stuff. Those emails come straight to me. I don't have anyone to read them and filter them out for me. Not yet, I'm hoping. But in the meantime, that means you can write, you can write straight to me. What I'm wondering is how people are reacting to this, because the people that I interact with are almost all church people, you know, people of the congregation, family, and so like this. And and there's this, there's a hope in Christ that we have that extends our lives beyond the boundaries of our birth and our death. You know, we're we're, we're stretched. The Christian life, because it's an eternal life, it's a stretched life. Our life stretches all the way back to before we were born. I mean, we weren't around yet. We weren't alive. But, but there were things happening, like God planning, God electing, God choosing, God delivering, God dying and rising on the third day. All of that matters. And then there's, a, there's an extension that goes all the way into the future. So the Christian life is kind of is stretched out like this. There's a life that, that is not stretched like that. There's a life that's bound, that's just circumstantial scribed that's that has a that has a distinct start but maybe even more importantly a distinct finish the secular life thinks that when you die you die that's it it's it's what paul talks about if in this life we only have hope we are to be most pitied and so there's a way that there's a way that our friends and family who don't know christ who don't know the resurrection of the body are wrestling through things in a very different way i mean you just got to think you know i mean just to think of the different ways that you have to look at your own death if you believe in Jesus or if you don't. I mean, here, if you don't believe in Jesus and the resurrection of the body, then that's death is it. It's over. It's kaput. You're, there's nothing on the other side. So that all you have is this life. And that's a very different way of looking at this. It's a very different way of looking at yourself. This is this is uh I want to mm -hmm, I want to pick up on one paragraph uh, on this article uh, and it says here um, the definition of we changes as we're separated from our schoolmates and our coworkers 
Ah, here, this, that sounds the paragraph. I want to read this paragraph. We have reached a crossroads. We have emerged from what, was a sh what we assumed was normality. Things have suddenly become overturned. And one of our main tasks now, especially those of us who are not sick, who are not frontline workers and are not dealing with other economic or housing difficulties, is to understand this moment, what it might require of us and what it might make possible. Now that's what I'm press. That's what I want to press on. What is the, what does this moment mean? What does it mean for the church for those who believe in Jesus, and what does it mean to those who, who do not? To, to what does it mean to those who only have this life? I mean, how does this affect their not only their mental health, but how does it affect their hope and their faith and their life and so forth? I want to I want to press in on that a little bit more. But it's time for the first break. So Act One over. Uh, we'll go to the break now. We'll come back with Act 2. I want to dive into this question with David. And, and King David takes up this question, I think, in Psalm 42 and 43. So we're going to go there next. Stay with us through the break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Cross Defense. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. LCMS Disaster Response and Training provides guidance and counsel to congregations seeking to show mercy to their neighbors before, during, and after disasters. From congregation preparedness to equipping volunteers in our Lutheran Early Response Team training, we can help you engage your community, particularly those who are suffering in any way with the love of Christ. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org forward slash disaster. This week on Issues Etc., we want your answer to these questions. What's your favorite Easter hymn and why? Vote in advance at facebook.com slash issues etc. Email talkback at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382, or on Twitter, at Issues Etc. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Christ is risen indeed. God be praised for that. Blessed Easter Monday. Resurrection Monday to all of you. We're talking about the coronavirus and hope. There's this way that that if our hope is circumscribed to this life, um, 
there, there's a different way that you go on living this life. There's a different way that you spend your time and your effort and your energy and your thoughts versus if you have a hope in the life to come. Now, this topic comes up in Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 42 and 43 belong together. And there is a, there is a refrain in these two psalms that's really quite wonderful. It's in verse 5 and verse 11 of Psalm 42, and then again in verse 5 of Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Now, to figure out why he's asking this question, why he's talking to his own soul here, and I don't wonder if that's one of the things that's going to happen in our social distancing, is that we just we start talking to our souls. <laughs> so, especially, you know, it's the, there's different conditions of social isolation. There's the social isolation of a family, where everyone's piled in together, of a husband and wife, you know, say empty nesters, or of a widow or a widower, or of a young single person, there, or, or just someone who's living by themselves. It's a very different kind of social isolation. And when you're really isolated, when it's just you, you find yourself talking to your soul, well, you're not alone. Oh, sorry, let me just correct myself. I thought this was a King David psalm, but I'm looking at it right here, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, sons of Korah. So, my mistake. So it starts in verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. So this is a picture. You remember the psalms always asking, what's the picture? And here's the picture of one of those little, like, gazelles that live out in those sticks in Israel, live out in the desert, and it's hot there. Oh, man. They're walking all along, and they're just getting thirsty and worn down. You see that you can almost see their swollen tongue longing just for something to drink, and they, they're going towards the bushes, and there's nothing there. They're just looking for just a little stream to get something to drink. And it says, just like that deer is panting for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where's your God? So this is the picture of, a, of an afflicted Christian that's being afflicted for their faith in Christ, that's being mocked for their trust in the Lord, and that's far, that's at least seemingly far away from the Lord's remembrance, from the Lord's presence. This is, I mean, this is a psalm that's been coming to my own mind, thinking about these times of where we can't come to church and have the Lord's Supper. My soul, there's this longing, my soul faints for the courts of the Lord, this kind of language. When I remember these things, verse 4, I pour out my soul within me. I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. So I used to go down to Jerusalem for the Passover. I used to come into the temple. This is the picture of the psalm. I used to come into the temple with joy to rejoice in the Lord's gifts there, but now I'm not. Now, the psalm doesn't tell us why. It doesn't tell us what's keeping the person back. From the from the feast of the Lord, from the from the joy that the Lord had for them in the in the in the pilgrim feasts, we just know that they are suffering. And then look what it says: Oh, why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? Verse five. Why are you disquieted within me? And then listen to the solution. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him. 
for the help of his countenance. Hope in God. The old theologians used to distinguish between three things with hope. I mean, there's a lot of distinctions when it comes to hope, but they would talk about the ground of hope, the object of hope, and the act of hoping. So what is your hope based on? What is your hope for? And what is your and what does it look like to have hope? I think we normally when we think about hope, we think of we think of the action of having hope, the state of being hopeful, this kind of thing. But the but the old theologians and, and they'll draw this out especially from the Old Testament, they'll say the key thing is not even the object of hope, which for the Christian is the life to come, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But before we even get to that, it's the ground or the basis or the foundation of our hope, which is God. We hope in the Lord. That's what it says. Why are you so why are you so cast down, my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God. Oh, my God, verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mizar. I don't know where the hill of Mizar is, but it's a cool name. From deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a life, a prayer to the God of my life. So that even in the midst of distress, the Lord is with us in daytime and in nighttime. Now, no, notice, too, and there's probably something here that's, if you wanted to dig into this a little bit further, if this caught your attention and you wanted to kind of hone in on this particular thing, this would be some, a place to, to dig up, and I imagine you could find some gems there, is that there's different distresses that happen to us in the daytime and the nighttime. And here it says that the Lord is he's fighting for us in both situations. There's a daytime assurance and a nighttime assurance. There's a daytime comfort and a nighttime comfort. Verse 9 says, I will say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here is back to it. Where's your God? Oh, you trusted in the Lord. Why don't you deliver him? It reminds us, right, of, of, the, uh, of the mockery that they gave to Jesus when he was dying on the cross. He trusted in God. Why, let God come and save him now. Where is he? If he trusted in him. This is the kind of mockery of... Of the Christian, it's always the the enemy of the Lord's people is always mocking the the lack of God's working and the lack of God's deliverance. Where is God? And yet it goes back to the refrain here at the end of the verse: Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance, and my God. Now this is a so important for us to reflect on is that the the bible is going to put is going to put in contradiction a distressed heart on the one hand and a hopeful heart on the other and so one of the things that we can do when we find ourselves to be distressed this is what this psalm is teaching us when we find ourselves to be full of anxiety and full of worry full of fear full of Oh, distress, affliction, full of that the that the the troubles that are coming to us as Christians are, are just piling on us more and more and getting heavier and heavier. One of the things that the Bible invites us to do is to reflect on our hope. What is our hope in? What's the status of our hope? How healthy is our hope in the Lord? 
and and to know that hope is what is what is pressing out to despair now don't misunderstand me i'm not i'm not making a kind of a mental illness diagnosis this is not this is not the topic here i mean you know there some people are um their despair comes to them for many different reasons it's not simply a spiritual thing but it can be a uh, you know, it can be even a chemical thing or something like this. But the, but this the general idea of what the scriptures are pressing us into is this idea is that the the counterweight, the counterweight of trouble, the counterweight of anxiety, the counterweight of persecution, the counterweight of affliction, the counterweight of loneliness, is hope. It's it's a you know we want to remember that we are as people, fearing, loving, and trusting creatures. When we were created in the image of God, that means that we were given the capacity right there at the beginning, right there at the at our creation in God's name. We were giving we were given the capacity to fear and love and trust. And all of us are fearing and loving and trusting in things. No matter if you fear love and trust in God, or if you fear love and trust in yourself, or if you fear love and trust in the government, or if you fear love and trust the anti-government, or whatever it is, we're all fearing and loving and trusting in something else. And that fear, love, and trust is directed backwards. That's the story we tell about ourselves, where we came from. But that fear, love, and trust is also pressed forward. We're all telling a story about how we think tomorrow's going to go, and that story about how tomorrow's going to go is mostly shaped by the things that we fear, love, and trust. And there's a tendency. I, I, th I think one of the advantages of this particular crisis is that it reminds us that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, we used to, we're, we just so, or we are so used to thinking that, hey, today is a lot like yesterday, and yesterday was a lot like the day before. And the day before was a lot like the day before. This is how Second Peter says it. Everything's the same from the very beginning all the way to the end. And so we forget that all of a sudden the rain starts. And if you have not been building a boat, you're in trouble. And all of a sudden the, the, the hail starts falling. And if you hadn't been you know, running from Sodom and Gomorrah, you are in trouble. There's a reminder when crisis strikes that tomorrow is not written. We, do, we cannot predict tomorrow. We always try, and in some ways we have to, you know. In some ways we have to, we have to guess what tomorrow is going to be like. I mean, imagine if, you know, if you thought that everything would change. You'd wake up tomorrow and there's no gravity, or if now we have to eat grass instead of food, or if the sky is going to be purple. You know, there's some things we have to assume a kind of continuity of things in order to act. But it's good for us to remember that, that there are incontinuities. That all of a sudden, one day, the governor says, don't leave your house. And all the kids are going to be, are going to be educated at home. And that you can't go to church on Easter. I mean, you never could guess that thing. I mean, you never, ever could imagine that sort of thing. But, that, but that's what it is. And so crisis reminds us that the future is not certain. And, when those and this is what happens. This is maybe the point I'm driving at, is when those uncertainties start to, when those uncertainties start to grow and those uncertainties start to build and the, uh, and the, uh, and the, and the, and the, and the the shape of tomorrow becomes less and less distinct in our own imaginations. It starts to expose what we fear and what we love and what we trust.
In other words, it starts to show where our trust is or where our hope is grounded. So in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of all of this trouble, the, the psalmist is pointing us back to the Lord. Consider, that was Psalm 42, but consider Psalm 43. There's five short verses, and it's probably Psalm 42, part two. It's, they're related to one another. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, remind me in a minute to come back and talk about God being our joy. I'll finish verse 4. And on the harp I will praise you, O oh God, my God. Why are you so cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The help of my countenance. I wonder how other verses translate that. The help of, the help of my countenance. Literally, it says, literally, the, the, the help of my salvation. I wonder what that, I'll have to, I'll have to go and, and check that out. Because countenance means the look on your face, you know. The, countenance is like when you, when you take the kids and you say, okay, what does someone who's surprised look like? And they look, do the surprised look. And what does someone who's angry look like? And they do the angry. And what about happy? And what about nervous? And, they, and you do the, they, that's, their, that's your countenance. What's your face look like? It's one, of the great, it's one of the great insights of the Reformation is that they understood that, that mercy or grace was the countenance of God. How does God's face look when he looks at you? There's this great line in Luther. It's almost like a throwaway line for him. I think it's in the large catechism or something. And he's talking about the opponents, the people who are he's fighting against theologically. And they say, and he says, they don't even care if God, if God frowns or smiles at them. That is a fantastic way of thinking about theology. Is God frowning at you or smiling at you? And we understand that the grace of God means that he smiles at us. And what happens is that we start to reflect that same countenance that's what it says here in the song the lord god is the help of our countenance he 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 gives shape to how our face looks if we're downcast that's what it says why so downcast my soul even if, we're, if our soul is afflicted you know you see it in the face you're just uh like this but the lord smiles on us and you know how this goes i mean this is amazing to see this is that is that we reflect the faces of other people. When someone smiles at us, we almost always smile back. When someone glares at us, we always kind of look away, that, that we just are instinctively reflect the way that someone looks at us. Well, the Lord looks at us, and on his face is joy. Let his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. That's how, that's how Aaron was taught to bless the people in Numbers chapter 6, so that the Lord is smiling on us, and that smile now lifts us up. When we look to the Lord and we see that he has joy in us, then, then he becomes our own joy and the source of our joy. Ha! 
so that these two things are pressed up against each other. In the midst of our despair and trouble, the Lord comes to us with his joy and his mercy and his kindness. And he gives us hope so that our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's not built on ourselves, but rather our hope is built on God, on his promises and on the things that he gives to us. Okay, now, now with that in mind, I want to press back towards the road to Emmaus. Remember how those guys said, in Jesus we had hoped? We had put our trust in him, but that hope is lost. Now we're going to see if Jesus can bring that hope back. So we'll do that after the break. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wilkmiller. Stay tuned. Short one now. We'll be right back to talk about, to talk about hope. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. We live in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. We listen to KFUO through the Internet. It's nice to listen to a church service going on here in the U.S., the music and the talk shows. It's been very uplifting, really encouraging. So thank you. Bringing the word of Christ to listeners around the world. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. I know I mentioned it on the show, but just to mention it again, we published a couple of weeks ago this little book about Martin Luther and his theology of martyrdom. You can buy it. I think it's nine ninety nine on Amazon or like three bucks to get it as an ebook on on Kindle. Or if that's too much, you can just download it for free. We I want to make everything available. There should be no barrier to orthodoxy or to orthodox theology. So so you can download the book and read it and enjoy it uh, at wolfmuller.co slash life. Uh, take they our life. That comes from the hymn where Luther says, Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. And that theology really permeates all of Luther's preaching and teaching, and we unfold it in this little book. It's like 100 pages or something. So, And Take They Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of the Martyrs, available at wolfmuller.co slash life. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, their pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Come and visit when you're in Austin, Texas. Author of the Take They Our Life, Martin Luther's Theology of the Martyrs, which is available for free, by the way. You can download the thing. I had the, I made I don't know if this is a vow, but I, I I a couple I don't know, a couple years ago I thought that um well number one, the church provides for me so well that I have all that I need for my family and so forth. Um, uh, we have all these side projects and th- th- there's some money that comes from that, but I, but that I never want to think that uh, anyway, I decided that I, everything I do, I want to be available. I don't want money to stand in the way of this thing. So the book, take their life, you can buy it for like three bucks on Amazon for, uh, Kendall or nine bucks at like a real book, or you can download it for free. So it's available for free. And all the books that we're republishing are also available for free. 
so that that's not – I don't want this to ever stand in the way that if you don't have money, that doesn't mean you can't have good theology. Good theology should be available to the to the world. So if you go to wolfmuller.co slash life, you'll find the links to either – you can buy it from Amazon or you can just download the thing uh, and read it and rejoice in, in Luther's teaching of the martyrs, which is really profound. He He talks about joy in the midst of all this horrible sort of suffering. And it really has a lot to do with what we're talking about, which is hope. Now, now, now we began by talking about these guys on the road to Emmaus, and I want to I want to pick up there, and and reflect on this a little bit, because we we are we we are like the the disciples after Easter. I mean, every time. Every time we just see the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus, they are fearful, they are worried, they are distressed, they're afraid, they're confused, and they talk about how their hope is gone. They talk about how they had hope, but it's spent. Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Emmaus is northwest of Jerusalem. Not too far away. Oh, look, it says, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. I should I should finish reading the single verse before I stop to comment, and maybe I would. Verse 14. <laughs> they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. <laughs> now we're watching this thing. Say, what's going to happen now? Jesus has, by this time, already appeared to Mary Magdalene, appeared to the four other women who were traveling from Jerusalem over to Bethany to tell the disciples what was going on, uh, had maybe appeared to Peter or would later appear to Peter on his own. So this is going to be either the third or the fourth appearance of Jesus. But they didn't recognize him. Verse 16. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now look at that. Jesus hides himself. <laughs> Jesus is so playful after the resurrection. I mean, he's just almost like a kid. I mean, it's just, I mean, th think of, let it be said with all piety uh, here that it's helpful for us to imagine Jesus messing with these guys. I mean, and maybe he can't help it because he's, he's not dead anymore. He's raised. There's a lightheartedness that Jesus is approaching everything that's happening here and there but the, and it is in this stark contrast to the sadness of the disciples so he hides himself from him from them and then he says to them what kind of conversation is this that you have while you walk with one another and are sad why are you so sad what's wrong guys why are you so upset then one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, which which have you, uh, 
And have you not known the things which are happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? <laughs> I mean, this is great. I mean, if anybody knows the things that happened, it's Jesus. They happened to him. <laughs> he still has holes in his hands. <laughs> So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and other and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that's the key, right there, right there. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones. That sounds nice when you say it like that. Oh, foolish ones. What if you just take out the fancy? You fools. <laughs> I mean, here's a stranger. <laughs> this is so great. This is just so wonderful. Fools, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, to be there. Oh, to have listened. Can you imagine these guys just telling? I mean, imagine being in a Bible class with Cleopas and his friend after this. Just as he would go through and say, oh, remember what Jesus told us about this psalm? And oh, remember what Jesus told us about this part of Moses? And oh, oh, remember what Jesus said about this in the life of King David or this in the prophet Isaiah? Remember what Jesus said about all these things? Can you imagine going to that Bible class? I wish Luke would have written a third book that just said the lessons from Jesus to Clopas on the road. I mean, it would be stunning sort of thing. In some ways, I suppose that's what Matthew is. And in some ways, that's what Luke is. And and what Romans and Hebrews is, this unfolding of Jesus from the prophets. But even though he's talking and he says he's telling them all these things about himself, they still don't know that it's Jesus. And they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated, oh, I have a little note that says, acted as if he's pretending. He's hiding himself. He's acting like he's going to keep going. He knows just what he's, Jesus knows just what he's doing, and he's giving him just the perfect thing. I mean, and not only for Cleopas, but also for you and for me. Jesus knows exactly what he's giving us. I mean, do you see what he's, he's saying? Look, I don't, I don't need to come and teach you these things. You have Moses, and you have the prophets, and you have the scriptures, which means you have all that you need. Remember how Jesus talked about this with Lazarus and the rich man, and he says he, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them believe them. If they don't believe them, they won't believe if someone rises from the dead. So Jesus is now proving the point and teaching them all of these things from Moses and the prophets, that all of these things are true. But now he gets to the place, and he acts like he's going to go farther, and then they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. They start singing, Abide with us. And it's towards evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. 
And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that they took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. And then, then, in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened, and they knew that it was him, and then, poof, he vanished from their sight. As soon as they recognize that it's Jesus, then he disappears, gone, plow. And they, what's going on? And they get up and they, they run all the way back from Emmaus, back up into Jerusalem, find all the guys waiting in the upper room or a house of John or wherever they were. And they say, uh, they, they, uh, they said to one another, oh yeah, before that, this beautiful thing, our hearts burned within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and appeared to Simon. And they told him the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then Jesus himself comes into the midst. Oh, so great. So Jesus is, 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 is appearing to them, and is teaching them, and is showing them, and is, and is attacking head-on their hopelessness. Now, now, they, 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 but, but look at how he does it, and this is maybe the point. We had hoped that he was going to be the one, but we heard these strange rumors. We heard these strange things. We heard that some guys saw the empty tomb. They didn't see an angel. Some of the women, they went and they saw the angel. We don't know what to make of it. We're here. And then Jesus says, fools, listen. Listen to Moses. Listen to the prophets. Listen to the word of God. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be hopeless, but be full of hope. Death is, death is defeated by the death of Jesus. Now, now this is for us. Because here we are in these gray and latter days, here we see pandemic all around us. Here, here we still die. There's still graves, even mass graves nowadays. There's still death. There's still sin. There's still disease. There's still sorrow. There's still poverty. There's still hunger. There's still sin. There's still tears. And yet Jesus has overcome these things. And we're walking, as it were, on the road to Emmaus. And he comes and sneaks up behind us. And brings hope to the hopeless. Remember how we talked about how hope is what our trust looks like as it extends into the future? Well, if we're Christians... Our hope doesn't come from the future. Our hope comes from behind us. Our hope runs up from the empty grave. Our hope catches us on the road to Jerusalem. Our, our hope, you know, it's like you're running at a track meet and, it's, and you're getting lapped by the guy who's going to win. Jesus is lapping us and coming up from behind and saying, look, your hope is not in the future. Your hope is back in the past. Your hope is not in what's coming. Your hope is established in what happened already. 1,988 years ago in Jerusalem. That is your hope. That empty tomb, that raised man, that crucifixion, that spilled blood, that is your hope. 
that Jesus comes out of the grave and he comes for us. And he says, all your ancient enemies, all the sin, death, and the devil, all this sort of stuff, this, these are defeated. If in this life we only have hope, we are of all men the most to be pitied. But our hope is not only in this life. Our hope is in Jesus, who is risen from the dead, and who's, who's, who's ascended into heaven, and who sits at the Father's right hand, and who's ruling all things for the sake of his church. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our confidence. This is our comfort and our peace. Oh, how our hearts should burn within us as the Holy Spirit brings to us the scriptures and shows us that all the promises of God are true. And most especially the promise that Jesus was dead for us, that Jesus is raised for us, that Jesus is interceding for us, and that Jesus will come back for us. So that one day and one day soon, our graves will be as empty as the tomb of Jesus. He'll stand on the earth and we also will be raised with him, raised to life eternal. <laughs> Hope catches us from behind <laughs> and drags us into eternal life. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. God be praised. Well, thanks for listening to Cross Offense. I can't believe it's over. But we'll do this again next Monday, Lord willing. Uh, thanks for joining me. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul uh, and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. There's a lot more theology, uh, more radio stuff, more video stuff. Um, all of it is at the website. Some r more writing, a bunch of books to download uh, and think about. That's all there as well uh, at wolfmuller.co. Dot com. You can find that there as well. So, uh, so God be praised. And if you have any questions, I'd love to get your comments and your feedback. Wolfmuller, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O. Uh, you, can, you can reach me there. Thanks again for listening to Cross Defense. God's peace be with you as you rejoice in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Amen. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Oh man, thank you for being a listener. This is really, God be praised uh, for you, for the, your attention, for your uh, love of the Lord's Word and His kindness for, sp for spending this hour with me. I really am grateful for it. I hope it was helpful for you. Uh, and fruitful and beneficial. And if there's other people that you think would benefit through this reflection on the Lord's Word and the joy that He gives to us, especially as we think about the resurrection, 
and Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection, then I'd be grateful if you pass this on to them. And I'd, I'd love also to hear from you. If you've got topics you'd like us to talk about or questions you'd like us to answer or anything else that you find interesting, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at uh, at the website, wolfmuller.co slash contact. And those emails come straight to me. So thanks for that. And thanks again for listening. God's peace be with you.